Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is dedicated by Rabbi Dr. Mish Hammer Kosoy in honor of her Havrita, Rav Rachel Berkovitz. May we learn together for decades to come. Shalom. Welcome to Your Torah. This is Rabbi Dr. Mish Hammerkasoy. I'm a member of the Talmud faculty and the director of the social justice track at the Pardes Institute for Jewish Studies in Jerusalem. And I'm so pleased to introduce you to Masechet Maaser Sheni today because Mishnah was such an important part of my journey in learning Torah. Among the first endeavors that I undertook in getting serious about Torah was to learn through all of the Shisha Sidre Mishnah. And I think that it was that learning of Mishnah which helped me make the jump from a beginner to a more serious Torah learner. I hope that you will do the same. Today, we're talking about Masechet Maaser Sheni, the second tithe. You know from last week's unit uh, about Masrot that uh, the word tithes means one-tenth from the root of eser. And from the idea of masrot, giving tithes, we learn the important idea of maser ksafim, giving 10% of all our income to tzedakah. And you also have a sense from the previous podcasts that uh, the idea of maser sheni is part of a fuller system of peya, truma, maser, all of which are various agricultural tithes and gifts that need to be given, sort of showing us just how expensive it is to be Jewish, but also what a beautiful, all-encompassing system is created that takes care of all of the needs of the entire community. To make a quick review, there's three tithes. In addition to 2% that goes to the priests and the agricultural gifts, leket, shicha, and peya, that have to be harvested by the poor themselves, rather than by us and then given. The first tithe, about which you learned recently, goes to the Levites. It's their salary, if you will. They can use it however they please. Maser Sheni, on the other hand, is given just in the first, second, fourth, and fifth year of the seven-year cycle. And that's what we're focusing on today. It is your money. You need to eat it in the walls of Jerusalem, in ritual purity, before God. On the third and the sixth year of the same cycle, there's what's called the ma'aser ani, the tithe for the poor. That's food or money that stays local and is given to the poor people in need there. On the seventh year, of course, uh, it's the Shemitah year, and all of it is given away. This is an incredible system. Everything is cared for, the Levite, the Kohen, the poor in your midst, and as well as you. And the sense that you need to set aside four times a year in seven, 10% of your agricultural yield is set aside for your physical and spiritual pleasure fund. The Mishnah develops just a few verses, um, the verses in Deuteronomy 14, starting at 22, into five chapters. Let me read you those verses. You shall set aside every year a tenth part of all the yield of your sowing that is brought from the field. You shall consume the tithes of your new grain and wine and oil and the firstlings of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God, in the place where God will choose to establish God's name. 
so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God forever. Should the distance be too great for you, should you be unable to transport them, because the place where the Lord your God has chosen to establish God's name is far from you, and because the Lord your God has blessed you, you may convert them into money. Wrap up the money and take it with you to the place that the Lord your God has chosen, and spend the money on anything you want, cattle, sheep, wine, or other intoxicant, or anything you may desire. And you shall feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice with your household. So there's a few things that, well, there are many things, of course, that can be developed from these verses. But just at the basic level, the mission expands, that you take 10% and you should eat it in Jerusalem. But the Torah is aware from the beginning that if you don't live in Jerusalem, even if you only live half an hour away, you're not going to come every week to eat three cucumbers this week and five tomatoes the next week, four pounds of grapes the following week. And so the Torah suggests a layaway plan, a savings program. You can hoard the money, sarta, and bundle it up. You'll keep 10% of your agricultural yield. You'll set aside the value of it, and you'll make a big trip. And when you do that you'll probably take a short vacation in Jerusalem, maybe even a long vacation, but you'll have an, a solid amount of income to eat on that trip. You'll spend all of that 10% of your income in a few weeks in Jerusalem. And the result will be that you'll have plenty during that time. You'll be able to spend the money on steaks and lamb chops and fine wine and literally everything you desire. And of course, that makes you happy, and especially because the Torah insists that you bring your entire family. I especially appreciate this mitzvah because it includes women. Women are uh, exempt from coming to Israel on the pilgrimage festivals because it's both time-bound and it says specifically that every man is obligated to show up. But a great family vacation has got to be the entire family. And the uh, Mishnah sets out a system of really a family vacation in Jerusalem, a vacation that really is full of physical and spiritual pleasures, as well as plenty and generosity and happiness. So let me talk a little bit about what happens in the Masechet. Of course, the Masechet delineates the hows and the wheres, um, and especially the limits around redemption and the use of the money. The sages demand that you treat the money with kedusha. It's a mitzvah, and the eating that you're doing is holy eating. It's parallel to eating sacrifices. The rabbis refer to it as mamon gavoa. You're using God's money, and yet the rabbis want you to be able to enjoy it, to make as much sense as possible for you economically and socially. So the Masechet combines all of this and incentivizes and enriches the mitzvah by combining religious concerns with social and economic ones. This is what social justice business folks, social entrepreneurs call the triple bottom line. Let me first teach a Mishnah that exhibits this, and then I'll give you a sense of how this theme repeats throughout the Masechet. We've already said that Maser uh, Sheni needs to be eaten in Jerusalem in, in a state of ritual purity, and that it's supposed to be eaten by the entire family, atah uvetecha. But those things are tough. On the one hand, you want to facilitate an inclusive family vacation, 
You probably want to do it at Chag time. But whenever you have a large family, someone is bound to be impure. I'm imagining my neighbor upstairs. They have five adolescent daughters. Someone is bound to be menstruating at any time. If we want to make a nice family dinner with Maser Shani money, are we going to leave someone out? And that's exactly where Mishnah um, 210 comes in. It offers what modern Hebrew speakers call a patent, a creative technique for inclusion. God forbid one should be tempted to leave somebody out of the fun and certainly not to be deprived of good food. So the rabbis tried to minimize the cost of inclusion so that bringing the whole family and accommodating everyone's needs is as easy as possible. This is what they suggest. If you're in a situation where some of your family members, some of your children are impure and other ones are pure, you can set aside the maser money and you could say, Whatever is eaten by the members of the family who are pure, it's going to be paid for at the expense of this money. With the result that everyone can eat the same dinner. Those who are ritually pure and those who are ritually impure can all drink from the same bottle of wine. That way, you can minimize the cost of inclusion. Everybody can have the same dinner, you can eat together, and yet you can utilize as much as possible of the Maser Shani money, so that bringing the whole family and accommodating everyone's needs is as easy as possible. There are other halachot that also direct and answer social and economic needs. For instance, the Torah states you can bundle the money in order to make a nice vacation, in order to make it more convenient to go back and forth from Jerusalem. The Mishnah addresses limits. For Beit Shammai, he wants you to make it easy for you to redeem and store the money for a nice vacation, but not too big of a vacation. And therefore, he suggests that you shouldn't collect it into gold coins. You have to make sure that you use the money. If you hold it into gold coins, you'll never get enough to come on the vacation that you want to. This way, you'll have to make your vacations at regular intervals. Um, that way you get a regular shot of family time, of Jerusalem, of community, of plenty, and of God's presence. The rabbis of the Mishnah are also worried about waste. One of the possible places where the money can get wasted is with the money changers. Of course, we need money changers, but we don't want them to make a killing at the expense of Maser Shani. So Beit Hillel demands or suggests that uh, when you turn, you, of course you save your money into larger coins to make it easy to come to Jerusalem. But then when you come to Jerusalem and you break it into small money, you should turn some of the money into larger coins and some of the money into very small coins so that you won't have to change your money multiple times and that you'll only have to pay commissions a limited number of times. The rabbis set other restrictions that prevent commercialization and encouraged inclusivity. For instance, while your agricultural produce that's been separated as Maser Shani can be redeemed and bundled and brought to Jerusalem, once you've got Maser Shani, you can't do business with it. You can't buy or sell the holy food once you're in Jerusalem. You can give it free as a gift 
Or if you need to get it to Jerusalem, you could invite someone to help you carry it and say you'll share it with them when you get there. But you can't offer to give them a portion of the food um, as payment for your travel. We also know that the Maser Shady has to be used either for food or for drinking or for anointing. But the rabbis set restrictions on what kind of items could be included in the price of the food. It has to be eating, drinking, and anointing in the normal way. And there's limits. If you buy an animal, of course it will come with the skin. If you buy wine, it might come with the jug. Other foods might come with containers, but they have to be normal containers. You want to be able to keep the skins and the wine jugs for other things, even though you've purchased them with Maser Shani money, but you don't want the other things that you've purchased, the wine jugs and the skins, to become primary. I think the rabbis were already anticipating the modern era when children would want to buy the cereal that's got the funnest prize at the bottom of the box. You should be buying the food, not the silly prizes or the colorful containers in which they come. Another thing that I appreciated about Maser Shani was the desire to make sure that it was maximized in its utility and its inclusivity. Once the food comes in to Jerusalem, it can't go out. But sometimes there are leniencies, especially, for instance, if the food became impure or it's not really edible, in order to make sure that the money gets the maximum edibility eating for your money, you're able to redeem it under those special circumstances. Similarly, they don't want you to spend the money on truma, even if you're a Kohen, because once you've purchased truma, it can only be eaten by a limited number of people. On the other hand, you are allowed to spend the money on purchasing sacrifices, even though that does come with some restrictions on the way the money can be used. A final example where you also see social concerns coming into the halakha is found in the fifth chapter, which focuses on the idea of kerem ravai or netaravai, which is produce from a vineyard or from a tree. After it's been planted for the first three years, you can't eat it at all. But on the fourth year, you're meant to bring it to Jerusalem and eat it there in many of the same conditions as Maser Shani. And so it's treated in the same asechet as Maser Shani. And like Maser Shani, it can be redeemed. But the rabbis restricted redemption. They permitted you to redeem that prados from the young tree or the young vineyard only if it's from more than one a full day's journey to Jerusalem. And they articulate why. To make sure that Jerusalem has plenty of fruit, the markets are beautiful, and there's a great supply. However, later on, they found that the markets were flooded and there was more fruit than could be eaten. And then they suspended the requirement on condition that they'd be able to uh, restore it later on when there was a need. So the rabbis are very conscious of the desire to make plenty of wonderful food available in Yerushalayim and to regulate the markets in ways that make that possible, but also make it possible for the prices and the availability to make sense for the community as a whole. So again, the religious requirements are attended to by the rabbis with a great sense of social responsibility. Of course, not every mission in the Masechet is about balancing and combining social and religious and economic concerns. There are many other jewels in the Masechet, and there's not time to discuss them all. 
But Maaser Sheni, as developed by the rabbis, is really a remarkable institution, and it's part of a very inspiring system of agricultural gifts. To summarize, Maaser Sheni is the second tithe, which is set aside in the first, second, fourth, and fifth years, four years out of seven. And it's part of a larger system of tzedakah and social welfare. But in these years, the money is set aside for you to spend on yourself and do something special. Instead of giving it away, you spend it with your family in a place of spiritual and physical delight, in purity before God, together with Am Yisrael. It's a dream family vacation. It's both physical and spiritual, full of plenty and generosity and lots of happiness. And many times you'll do it during Pesach and Sukkot, which would mean that you're likely to have really excellent weather. Maser Sheni is what modern social entrepreneurs call the triple bottom line. We don't treat religious concerns one way and then worry about economics another time. Religious and social and economic concerns work in concert. Your family vacation is good for the economy, for social solidarity, and for personal and religious growth. The sages even declare that great is Maser Sheni that it brings about Torah study. There's a tremendous spiritual knock-on effect to eating grilled steaks in Yerushalayim. When you come to Yerushalayim, you see everyone learning Torah and serving God, and you too are inspired to learn Torah and to engage in holy service. You can't help but catch the bug. For the time being, at least, we're unable to eat Maser Sheni together in purity in Jerusalem. But we can abstract the principles of the triple bottom line of combining religious, social, and economic concerns into every decision we make. And we can find ways to be inclusive of having regular family trips that combine pleasures of flesh and spirit and learning Torah in Jerusalem. I look forward to learning with you here. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK. In collaboration with women from around the world, who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.